Hello and welcome to the Stress Sessions Mental Health Podcast with me, Luke. You're listening to Series 5, Episode 2 and today I'm chatting to EastEnders Royalty and someone who was the lead character in one of the most watched scenes ever on the soap. It's none other than Jack Ryder who played the character of Jamie Mitchell in the BBC's most popular British soap opera. Jack, who still acts and directs, is now a successful children's author and fronts up Jack Ryder Sessions a one-to-one online acting and coaching school for current and up-and-coming artists. So, without further ado, here's the Stress Sessions with Jack Ryder. Welcome to the Stress Sessions, Jack Ryder. How's it going? Very good, mate. Very good. Very good. Thank you for having me on. No, thank you for coming on. It's, I, I mean, I, I messaged you a little while back and we've, we've been chatting a little bit since and I'm, I'm buzzing to have you on. Um, it's absolute pleasure to have, well, one EastEnders royalty on, um, but <laughs> you've, you've, you've had a really interesting life as well. So I'm thank you so much. much. So much time has passed since that. I'm, I'm now becoming, people say EastEnders legend and things like this. And I'm like, what? And then you go, oh God, yeah, it was 20, 20 odd years ago. Now. So yeah, yeah, it's a long time ago. It's pretty cool. And and obviously your, your character, Jamie, was in probably one of the, I guess, most watched episodes ever. So that's that's a pretty big deal. Christmas Day. Mm. yeah and it was um it was just pre the whole sort of internet social media um frenzy you know um sort of pre 9-11 you know well not pre 9-11 wasn't my last episode but certainly that era of EastEnders was pre 9-11 and I think before that a lot of people just had your general channels and your cable and, and all that sort of thing so YouTube and all that sort of stuff hadn't really haven't really begun yet so there was a lot more people watching terrestrial television back then i've kind of ruined my first proper question which was can you tell me a little bit about yourself because i've sort of told people already but like <laughs> tell, tell me about yourself what i'm up to now is basically i'm uh, a children's author so i'm writing children's books um which are in the age group of sort of seven to nine year olds um and that's something i'm very passionate about it's something i i started doing as a kind of hobby in the beginning um i was working a lot in uh, the west end and, and directing theater um and in my evenings i would spend time writing stories and uh i luckily um got them seen by a wonderful publisher called hachette um and uh we collaborated together we've been collaborating together for the last so five or six years and uh, I've just finished my fourth book now so that's something that I'm always tapping into um, and uh, something that makes uh, the clocks go very fast because I just lose myself in, in that process um, and then I've got the Jack Ryder sessions as well which is a kind of online acting sort of class um, but it's one-to-one um, and I work with actors from all walks of life beginners people who are in the industry professionally um, and I'm even getting people approaching me now to um, work on, on their own sort of self-development. Um, so if some people say, hey, 
wanted to get in touch. Uh, I have no interest in acting, but I'm lacking confidence in my work and I do this for a living. Would you be interested in having a conversation? And yeah, I've got clients now who, um, who yeah, come to me for sort of some words of wisdom. And I mean, a bit like we are now, we just kind of just, just, just chat, just someone to bounce ideas off someone who's going to sit there and, and listen and, and give some, some sort of, um, guidance and and, and 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 helping through something so that's business that business of mine is an organic thing that I'm kind of really letting just flow and move in whatever direction it's going to take um, and in amongst that there's bits of acting and bits of directing and other writing things and lots of spinning plates so that's kind of where I'm at at the moment and where I've been sort of since sort of COVID really. I, so I knew you did the Jack Ryder sessions because obviously that's that's how I found you but Mm. I didn't I didn't realize you did all of like the coaching like as in like you you kind of guided people with their self-confidence and stuff what mm. what does that entail because that I mean that's that's helping people big time isn't it it is and it wasn't sort of my intention really um my intention was to sort of help people up and down the country because obviously when COVID hit Zoom you know and all this sort of face-to-face and -face, um, communication online just kicked off massively and in the acting world self-tapes kicked off in a big way um now british actors weren't really used to that it was around a little bit and, and big in the us you know american actors very used to that probably for the last 10 15 years but in the uk it wasn't really a thing and then when covid hit it's now become the norm um and i i was lucky enough through covid to work through that process and get some auditions and work through the whole self-tape thing but there was a lot of actors who it was quite alien to them and also there's a lot of actors out there who have been predominantly theatre trained as well and have no experience with cameras and self-tapes and TV acting, film acting. Um, so it was a kind of idea. I, I had a, a, a two-month-old baby. I was walking her on the river in the rain in Devon and I thought, is this a thing? Because I'd taught in drama schools and done a couple of master classes and I'd sort of helped out actors in the wings in the West End with issues they were having on stage or where they couldn't get a particular line right or they were having trouble in rehearsal and I always found that kind of one-on-one -on -one thing of connecting with someone face to face and and getting to the point of something I found I was quite useful at that even with my own family and things so it was a bit of a shot in the dark and when I approached my agents about it and what the idea was and I spoke to a couple of um, heads of drama schools as well who are, who are colleagues and friends of mine and they all sort of thought this was this is a brilliant idea no one else is really really doing this um and my agents were like well we could we could send you three clients today you know just to get the ball rolling sort of vibe you know and um that's how it all began and then it's just snowballed from there really. and uh, and I, I had no expectations of it but it's 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 still going it's as businesses do you know that are working well they uh they they they, they ramp up slowly and i'm still sitting here today having finished the a load of stuff and like wow I okay we're, we're still doing this thing and, and i get a hell of a lot out of it and i know the clients do as well um it's very rewarding in that sense yeah i was going to say that you're essentially you're helping people with with their acting careers and, and, and i guess personal lives as well but it must be so rewarding just it is knowing it, that yeah it, knowing that you've helped so many people yeah i mean it's it's lovely and 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 you know when when what i started to notice was a lot of the actors because when they when they sign up you know and um join um they write a little sort of you know piece about themselves in on the, on the contact page on the website and um 
a lot of them were saying each time, uh, I want to get out of my own head and I, I lack in confidence and this sort of stuff. And it all became quite personal. And you start to realize that actor or not an actor, like everyone's dealing with the same kind of voices in their head and the same vulnerabilities and the stresses of, of daily life. And, um, you know, obviously what I do mainly is specific to actors, but a lot of them were saying the same thing is actually, you know, I can't quite figure this out and I'm lacking in self-esteem when it, when it comes to being in a room and auditioning and putting myself out there. And you'd think that actors don't have that problem at all, but actually a lot of actors, not that it's a problem, um, but a lot of actors uh, do 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 deal with that a lot of the time, and, and, I, and I deal with it. I'm not some just because I'm an actor and I've been on stage and I've been on television doesn't mean I'm this confident guy. I'm the guy in the corner of the room keeping pretty quiet mostly. Do you know what I mean? It's like I'm quite a shy person, really. Um, so people expect actors to have all this sort of bravado and confidence, but it's 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 often not the case. And. The, the kind of like techniques that you teach is it based is it based on your own sort of personal acting career and directing career is it is it kind of stuff that you've learned along the way it's a lot of the stuff i've learned along the way through first-hand experience i was never trained as an actor i never went to drama school or anything like that so i was my first experience of acting was being put onto a set with ross kemp barbara windsor and, and steve mcfadden and, and just action do you know what i mean like that was pretty much it so i learned on the job and as you can imagine a show like eastenders uh, is ferocious in terms of the pace and uh, and how much you have to learn and, and what you have to bring to it in terms of your discipline as, as, as an actor um so yeah but, but but the interesting thing with the sessions is is everyone else brings their experience to the table as well it's not about me preaching and i have all the answers it's about making it work for the individual client and I was working with a, a wonderful client today who's done some really great stuff, got some amazing credits on his on his CV. And, um, you know, we just spent the whole session talking about both of our processes. And I'm learning from him and he's learning from me. And we're both getting different perspectives of things. And that's how those sessions roll. You know, and I might get another client who has no idea about, you know, self-tapes and what to do and has never done one, but wants the courage to. And you know, lives in the middle of Ireland and doesn't have any access to a theatre or a drama school or, and this is something that they can access and something that they can, they can tap into and explore. I mean, it's very explorative. Um, it's not just one, one way fits all, you know, because what my role is, is to kind of delve into what makes them tick and delve into how they work and, and their, you know, um, sensibilities to things. So it's, um, it's always it's always a wonderful moment when I meet a client for the first time, you know, and we start actually talking things because that's when we start to get to know one another and we can find a find a channel of of how to make things click for them. Yeah. And again, you, you don't have to name any names or anything, but is there anybody that sort of come to you wanting to like get your advice or ask for your help, and you thought like, oh, I can't believe they've come to me because they seem so confident. Like if you've watched them on TV or in theatre, has there been that sort of yeah. Person? There was, I won't, I won't name who it is, but there was one client who came to me and, um, and I worked with this client for, for, for an hour on, on an audition on a piece. And, uh, and it was funny because I said to my partner at the time, this client would be perfect in this show, you know? And then I found out that that person had been in that show for a number of years, you know, already oh, wow. I knew nothing of it, you know? Um, so yeah, there, there, there has been that. Um, there was a client who came to me the other day and she got in touch and, um, she had this big audition coming up, this kind of workshop actually. And um, um, it was kind of a very loose thing. She just said, I just want to talk through the audition and I'll send you the scenes. And 
And I thought we might run the scenes together and talk a bit about the character, but we actually just started talking about the process itself. And everything she was saying was just spot on. Everything she was saying, her whole angle on it, her whole discipline she had, um, her, her, her point of view. And I, and I told her that. I said, everything you're saying is music to my ears. Don't stop or question what you're doing. Keep going in that direction of what you're doing. And she finished the session and she was so appreciative, but at that same thing sort of said, I, I hope to do this again with you sometime because it's really good to just get this sort of stuff off my chest and hear it from another person's angle, you know, and, and it's, I feel more centered now knowing that what I'm doing is right and, 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 and the, the, the way I'm headed. So even on that level, it's like, you don't, you know, in that, my, my way is like, you don't need me. <laughs> you really don't like go and go and do, just do because you're, you're, you're on the right track. And I'm here for whatever you need, but I don't need to sit here and spend a lot of sessions with you guiding them and stuff because you're doing it. It's 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 kind of a bit like imposter syndrome, isn't it? Because I guess people will be auditioning for for particular parts or particular roles, and they'll they'll be like, "Oh my god, I can't do this." And then for somebody to for, to be there like yourself and go, "Do you know what? I can coach you through this. I can help you through this." Yeah, that's amazing for them. But it's also kind of like a bit of a like a counselling sort of role, isn't it? Because you get people. People see counsellors to to centre themselves and kind of, I guess, have a better mental health. Yeah. It's kind of a bit similar to what you're doing, isn't it? Yeah, it is. My mum um, was a driving instructor for like twenty odd years, and she's retired now. But we were talking the other day, and she said, it "Used to happen to me. You know, I'm there to teach them how to drive, but a lot of her students, you know, once you got to know each other, they started just getting stuff off their chest and talking about life and and the stories my my mother has and, and stuff. You know, it wasn't just about the driving, and I think that that's what a lot of people need." <laughs> is to find someone they can trust who they can share an idea or they can share a vulnerability in themselves with and it doesn't have to be anything too heavy sometimes sometimes it can just be that hour of just oh yeah that feels a bit better it's just like when you go outside and just breathe in you know at night and just kind of get a bit of fresh air for a moment it's just there's something in that and, and i think that yeah, I've had num numbers of sessions where, you know, you come at a session like, right, this is what we're going to tackle today. And they, they've had a rough week or something's happened or, you know, and we spend the session organically talking about what that situation is. And for me, what's so comforting about the business I run in that sense and the business I've designed is each time a client goes away, whether we work on acting or whether it does become that kind of counselling session, they go away with um with with better thoughts and, and and with a kind of clearer sense and and more of a, and more confidence and, and i really do find that and that's nothing that i necessarily have designed or work at it's just where it moves and i and i used to do that when i was a kid i used to do that when i was 14 or 15 my family would be talking around the table and going each and every way of possible answers to this this or that and they'd always turn to me at the end and go what do you think and i'll just kind of say something and just get cut right through and get to the crux of you know the the uh the road to go down and i've kind of always had a bit of that to the point where you know mates of mine would get in touch when you know i don't know if you can swear on your thing but when the shit hits yeah, the okay. basically do you know what i mean it's like i haven't heard you for months yeah oh, broken up with so and so or something and it's oh that's why you're getting in touch right okay let's have a chat you know and it's so people have always come to me in that way on and off throughout my life so 
this uh, this this feels quite a natural fit in that sense of when it when it bleeds into that stuff, it, it feels quite natural. I love that because it's you've it's it's kind of like you've always been destined to do what you're doing yeah. now. It is, isn't it? Really, and 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 you've made a career out of it, which is which is amazing. It's weird because I remember during early days of COVID, you know, I think it was something on Instagram or something like a woman making hats out of clay or so. I don't know, some some crazy thing. Um, and she went into that because COVID happened and she was at home doing nothing. And she thought, well, actually, I need to do something. Actually, I'm quite good at this or I quite enjoy this. And then it became this flourishing business. And I remember thinking at the time, like, I wonder if I wonder if that will happen with me. But I don't think it will because I'm an actor and I write and I'm already doing what I'm doing. But it's interesting how now the sessions came out of COVID. It, it, it was an idea that the whole, like I say, the whole online thing, um, it, it came through that. If COVID hadn't happened, I don't think I would have been searching for that idea of doing something like that and, and reaching out. Um, and uh, and here we are. So it's, it's yeah, maybe it is a destiny. I don't, I don't know. It's, it's still running. You know, I still get so much from it and, it, and, it's, and it's growing all the time. So we'll see what happens. I totally haven't asked you any questions yet that I've got written down. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's so, the thing is, it's so interesting because I, I didn't, I didn't expect to be speaking to you about that. So it's just really, it's just, it's just lovely that you've kind of fallen into that. I, I love it. It's great. Thank you. Thank you. So I'm quite interested about this one and it's, it's the first one that I've actually got written down. So it's, what's the one song that puts you in a really happy, positive mood? Well, for me, uh, I'm a big score fan, so I love film scores. Um, it's something that started when I got my first portable CD player and I was on a flight uh, with my mum and my stepdad and my brother to Jamaica when I was about 13, I think. And I had, for some reason, I had the Lion King soundtrack. Um, but it was the score. It wasn't all the Elton John stuff, it was the Hans Zimmer uh, soundtrack of, of the movie, which is pretty intense. I mean, you can, Hans Zimmer's a legend and, you know, much like the Gladiator soundtrack, it's, it's quite a similar theme. And I remember, not a day goes by when I don't hear one of those tracks uh, on that Lion King soundtrack, where I, I can literally smell Jamaica. I can smell the humidity, because I used to stand on my balcony and look out over, over this vista in Jamaica, which was just incredible. I'd never been to anywhere like that in my life at that point, not the Caribbean. And um, so I've been a sucker for scores ever since. And, uh, and, and I'm a big movie buff and all that sort of stuff. Um, and I love Thomas Newman and I love um, composers like Alan Silvestri. Um, and one of my favorite films growing up was a film called Forrest Gump. Um, and the score in that by Alan Silvestri is, uh, is a stunning score. And there's um, one track in that called Where Heaven Ends. And it's the moment when he's talking to Jenny who's kind of on her deathbed really and he's talking about all his travels and the things he saw and being in Vietnam and running across the, the mountains of America and, and it goes into this montage of you know these lakes and these mountains and just him being at one with the world and you know out there when, when, when he was doing all his running and, uh, and, and, and having all his experiences and there's something about that moment in that movie and that particular piece of music that I feel very content and it feels very isolated it feels very calm and it feels like there's absolute hope um and and 
kind of anticipation and optimism about what the future can bring. Um, and that piece of music makes me feel very, uh, very happy. Yeah. I love that. I love that it's a, it's a nice positive story behind it as well. It's, it's yeah. Really cool. I mean, I, I guess a lot of people will say some kind of upbeat track or something, but for me, uh, you know, I, I can enjoy upbeat music, definitely. But when I, when I go under the skin, it's, it's normally something quite, quite melancholy and quite kind of uh, quite um, classical. I mean, I wouldn't have expected any less from an actor. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> cool, cool. No, it's a good choice. I mean, the Lion King soundtrack's amazing. So, yeah. oh man, yeah, no. Um, it's funny, like uh, when you, when you sort of learn about scores and stuff, like someone like Hans Zimmer, like the, the 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 breadth of work he's done, and, and and some of the films, all the classics, you know, like you know, you've got the, the, the Batman movies, you know, the, uh, the Christopher Nolan films, but but then you look at a film like The Holiday. Hans Zimmer, you go Hans Zimmer. I did the holiday, and you can kind of you can make links. There's a lovely link with Thomas Newman when you've got Finding Nemo and Skyfall. I mean, there are moments in Skyfall you go, my God, that's that's Finding Nemo right there. That's that's Nemo, Marlon swimming through the ocean trying to get to Nemo. Um, so I love making those little connections with with films as well with scores. Going back to kind of when you first started on EastEnders, you were you were relatively young. I think you're in your kind of like your late teens, early twenties when you when you're in the in the show. Sixteen when I started, yeah. So very young then. Did how did you cope with the pressure of that? Because obviously you, you said yourself that you didn't really have any acting experience. Mm. You hadn't been to acting school or anything like that. What what was that like for you being thrust into that kind of environment of really experienced actors and a well-established show? Mm. Um. I think the behind the gates at Elstree, where EastEnders was filmed, was was an absolute joy. Um, it was challenging in terms of the work and the hours. Um, I think for like something like, remember at the time, something like three years running, I was uh, the character in the show that had the most amount of episodes each year, um, because Jamie was a part of a lot of storylines. He never really had, except in the beginning, my first entrance into the show he never really had his own storyline but he was always part of phil or you know the mitchell lot or that he was with sonia so he got into the whole jackson family and then he was with you know martin kemp's character and doing all the villain stuff and then he got with the slaters and so he was always a part of that and, and i guess at the time my character in that show filled the demographic of audience it was the, the, the teenage audience you know and there was all the smash hits awards and all those sorts of things so so it was, it was, there were long days and I didn't have a lot of time to do much else. Um, and I was protected behind those gates and I was with family behind those gates and with fellow actors and, and people who, who were looking out for me and, and, and wonderful crew um, of people who I still, when I was doing Holby a few years ago, you know, still bump into in those corridors and you know, people are still there. It's incredible. Um, Hardworking, great people. Um, but the, the 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 pressure outside of those gates, the the, the fame, the sort of um, the frenzy side of it was was very difficult. Was very difficult to, to to cope with because you know it was interesting. It's like when I rocked up at the Smash Hits Awards at Wembley, you know, and um, you'd have S Club Seven and you'd have Five and Westlife, and they were all bands and groups together. They were all brothers and sisters together. Um, and they had management and they had security and they had, you know, and I rocked up in a cab, you know, pretty much. And um, 
I didn't have security or anything like that. I, I didn't have that kind of protection at that time. And that was the difficult thing, because as soon as I left those gates, I was out there. I was on the train. I, I mean, I couldn't drive when I was 16, you know. So, you know, I was on the train with my baseball cap right down, you know, and avoiding 3.30, the school rush, you know, avoiding those sorts of hours of being out anywhere. And, you know, the story I've always told is, is that time when I was, I was in Bexley Heath and I was getting some trainers. I was out with a mate and getting a pair of trainers. You're a trainer fan, you made it. And, uh, and I, I, I was in this store and I suddenly heard all this screaming. And I literally thought someone had been shot, or stabbed or something like it. It was like, it sounded horrific something had happened and I came and I was kind of up on this first floor of this shop it was like a foot locker or something and I looked down and there was three security guards holding like bought and arms held clenched together holding back a, a probably about 100 so 200 sort of schoolgirls basically uh, who were just going crazy and um, this guy ran up to me with this tag he's obviously the manager of this, the, the shopping mall Thing. you know it wasn't the store and he said jack we'd have to ask you to leave and i said okay he said we don't have the security here to handle this and he was freaking out and um and i went okay fine 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 and i was with this friend and they took us up into the roof of this shop and took us out up to the roof through this kind of you know back corridor and all that stuff and i left the uh left the building but it was moments like that 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 were quite um confusing um mm. but also quite scary in moments, you know, moments of, you know, people jumping on top of your car and things, and you're just, you can't do anything, you know, because it's, like I say, it was um, people, even actors in EastEnders at the time, who I'm still in touch with, say to me now, it was different for you, you know, that experience. You were like a pop star. And I was, but I wasn't a pop star. <laughs> I was just an actor in a show. So, it was it was crazy times and, I, and and to be honest i sort of play it down a bit and then when i speak to people like my brother and friends who i'm still you know obviously friends with now and have been friends you know since school always really touch on those times and say man and they tell me things that i've even forgotten you know that was that was mental and there's that kind of look in their eyes of yeah no one no one and you, no one can really handle that without without that kind of protection and i think that was the tricky thing with the bbc was not having the uh the security and the protection at that time but in amongst all that like i said there was a lot of time i was behind those gates and i can't fault eastenders and the bbc for the opportunity they gave me and, and the work i experienced and the people i met and i wouldn't change it for the world you know um but there is that thing where you know you'll get like a some grungy guy come over or some you know lad and he'll say oh mate you know it must have been amazing being chased by all them girls and having all that attention i'm like try it it's not amazing. <laughs> It's it's tough. It's not easy. One to one chatting to a person in a shop or a girl coming over and hello, I'm a big fat, and, and and having that conversation is amazing. It's it's humbling. It's beautiful. But twenty teenage girls screaming at in your face is like, yeah. There's not much you can do about that. Yeah. How did you find it when you? left EastEnders because you were there for quite a while and mm. it, was your, it was your first acting role and then I think you went into theatre and like other other acting roles yeah. what was that like because obviously EastEnders would have been the only thing that you had to compare that to what was yeah. it was that quite difficult for you um yeah it was a difficult transition um you have a belief when you leave a show like that with such a popular character that the phone's gonna just keep ringing 
um, and you're going to be wanted and pulled from pillar to post and be offered all sorts of work, not necessarily your Hollywood movies, but dramas and other shows and stuff. And um, what I found out is, yeah, the phone doesn't ring. You know, that was my experience. It went very quiet, very quickly. Um, and uh, and that was that was that was a shock at the time. That was a real shock. At the time, I was I was married, and my ex-wife had two children. So I was very much happy in the life of being a stepdad and getting back to just real things and cooking and taking the kids to school and and just getting into that that real life stuff and I really missed that and that was one of the reasons I wanted to leave the show was I want to get back to reality a little bit um so but that you know I'm not gonna I'm not gonna kid you and say that it, it was it was fine it, it was difficult there was some there was some quiet days quiet weeks um but again it made me sort of adjust it made me sort of look look inward and, and figure out what what i wanted to do um and that's when i decided to move into theater um and get away um there were a few opportunities that came up but i wanted to tread the boards and i wanted to 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 see a bit of the country and and and, and again it's not that I, that's what I wanted to do, so that's what I made happen. It was actually that opportunity sort of came my way at the same sort of time. So those are the opportunities you sort of take. You know, actors are a lot like fruit pickers. You know, we go where the work. You know, we, we go where the work is. Do you know what I mean? It's it's. So once that kind of maybe that initial six months was done and dusted with, and I was actually working and working in the theatre and travelling the country, and I was with a company of actors you know that that that's that that was the moment when things really started to open my eyes because i started to to meet lots of different people i started to act on stage and and learning different disciplines in that in that medium um and uh and and, and got very present with the world at that point because i was in this kind of vacuum of eastenders and in this kind of glass bubble that you know you were kind of in that and 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 when it came to all of that settling down slightly and when I went to theatre I was actually I felt almost human again and could talk to people and, and work and, and, and show uh, learn things and show interests in things and, and, uh, and be present again with stuff and, and that was that was the beginning of um, another kind of beginning of my career I think you could say. Yeah. what is the most difficult place you've been in mentally and what did you do to get through that time that's a tough question because there are probably, if I had enough time to think about it, there are probably quite a few of those. Um, one of the hardest things I think I went through, there's probably two things, the hardest things, and they were both when I was younger. Um, one was when I was in EastEnders um, and my mum was in this car accident. She was in a horrific car accident. And I don't know how it happened, but when I got the phone call, she was presumed dead at the scene. That's it. And that's the information I had for, I can't remember how long it was, for 20 minutes or something. And I remember running down to get my brother and I got him and we went to the hospital to see my mum. And we found out that she was alive and all this sort of stuff. It was more than weird. And then we got to the hospital and I remember going in to see my mum and it was, and I won't go into it because I don't want your listeners to hear it, but it was a, a, a horrific sight. And, and 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 it's that moment man when i went over and i held her hand and she had this mask on and her little knees were trembling under the under the blanket and she was telling me it's going to be okay don't worry 
through spitting blood, no teeth vibe. And it was just, and hearing my mum looking after me when she was in that predicament broke me, broke me. And there was a lot of after effects of that accident, which I won't go into because it's very personal. There was a there was a knock on effect of all of that stuff that that, that that changed my family dynamic in a big way. That was very hard. Um, and another hard thing was when I was a kid. My my mum and dad were separated before I was one, and I used to visit my dad at the weekends, and it was a routine thing I've always done since I was a kid. But I think I became very uh, I became you know I was always very attached to my father, and, and I loved my father. He's still around. I still love my father. Um, and uh, there were every Sunday night or every other Sunday night, so every other weekend, every other Sunday night, my, my dad would drive me home. I would lie in the back of his car. My brother would be in the front of my dad. And I'd lie in the back and I would secretly, I'd keep my, my trembling and my crying down, but I'd be crying. And I would, my dad would drop me off and I'd run up. He went, I went for a spell of this for years, teens, you know, 12, 13, 14. And I'd run up to, upstairs into my bedroom and I'd open the blinds and I'd watch my dad's taillights go up and round the corner. And I'd lie on my bed you know, just crying. And then my mum would come up and she'd say, how you doing? And she'd kind of coax me back downstairs and we'd watch Frasier or some wrestling or something. And I, and I would come to and I'd be all right. But those years were, were hard, that kind of, not that I ever wanted my, my parents back together or anything like that. I adored my stepdad, who's always been in my life. I adored my dad's wife, Mel, who's no longer with us, my stepmom. I had my, my sister, my half-sister, um, who's incredible. Like, I wouldn't have had any of those relationships if my mum and dad had stayed together. So I always knew that but i missed him incredibly but to get through those things um i mean at the time when i was that age i just dealt with them you know i just dealt with them there was no kind of there wasn't the information we had today about mental health and things like that and uh and i was a teenager and i i didn't really speak much about it and i just kind of moved through it i found a lot of solace in friends and humor and films and cartoons and football and, and all that sort of stuff. I was a very outdoorsy kid growing up and we had a park up the road and we had brothers living in all sorts of different houses on the street. So there was a load of us that we'd always go up the park with our shirts on the kickball aisle. So there was a lot of physical activity and that probably helped a lot being out and, uh, and dwarfins and, and all that sort of stuff. Today I have um, a lot of structure in my life when it comes to exercise, when it comes to water intake and diet and breathing exercises and and um, mental sort of energy and stuff. Like I, I do have a routine in my life that, that keeps me disciplined and that keeps me uh, working hard. Um, and I've developed that over the years um, and, it, and it shifts and it changes slightly, but, but predominantly, you know, um, I'm a morning person and I get out very early in the morning, every day, pretty much. And I exercise, I run, I walk, I, I, I find bars to do pull-ups and chin-ups. I have an exercise routine. I do breathing uh, work um, before, I, before I even get out of bed. So I'm you know, getting that oxygen into my body and, and recharging myself, and re-cleansing myself. I, I drink a lot of water each day. Um, I make sure I'm eating a, a lot of veg each day. Um, oh, sometimes tips out of that, you know, and you, you get back on track with it. But I think I'm pretty consistent. Um, there's a client recently who, who who found all this out about my routine, and I was helping her with her health and well-being. She was going, "Yeah, you're, you're platinum. You're platinum. I'm not quite. I'm not quite platinum yet, but you're platinum and all this." Um, 
but yeah, I think I think for me, the morning is an incredibly important time. And I think that sometimes when I'm on my run or something or on, on, on some, some kind of brisk exercise or some sort of brisk walk or something, um, you can peer into people's front rooms and you can see that the BBC News is on and they're, they're drinking their coffee or they're having their fry up or whatever. And it's like, for me, like I always feel that giving yourself the most uh, you know, an hour, maybe at least half an hour to yourself at the beginning of each day, um, and 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 that kind of self-nurturing thing, I think is incredibly important. And I think today with the with mobile phones and stuff, it's the first thing most people pick up, and it's the first thing they start scrolling. And um, and I've had mornings like that, many mornings like that, and it's always a better one when I don't have the phone next to me and I just get up and the trainers are on and I'm out of door. I think I'm beginning to learn as well, based on what you've just said, that it's really important to, I guess, break your day up. Yeah. So like you said, when you when you start your morning, you'll you'll go out for your run or you'll you'll go for a walk or do your weights. That first thing in the morning. Yeah. I, d I don't have that routine at the minute that I think I need to put in place. And then my wife has just started doing um she she breaks her work and evening up by doing meditating. So she'll have a 10 minute meditation that she'll go and sit in her sit in a room. Yeah. listen to that and then she comes out and she's like right I'm, I'm ready for the evening now i need to do that i think like, but based on what you said and what my wife's been <laughs> been been doing i feel like i need to start doing that because it sounds it sounds like it works it, it's i always say this to my clients it's like you know i can i can throw all this at them and, and say about what my routine or my structure is but that's taken years to get to you know it's like and i think that's why most people you know you see this whole thing and you know new year new me new year and everyone joins the gym and that car park at that gym is full until like what 70 jam and it starts to taper off you know because people go all in and people go in too heavy and think right i'm gonna go to the gym four times a week and i'm gonna do that routine when i did when I, back when i was 25 or whatever um but i think if you start small and you plan it and you structure it you know so for you if that's not something you're doing now i wouldn't encourage you to go do what your your partner's doing or even touch on what i'm doing yet but What's to stop you from, you know, next week doing, you know, two days in that week doing a five minute meditation on one of those days and then the following week do three days and then the following week do four and then build those minutes up and get to that place where you will get to the summer. And you'll be doing something that you are so used to and that you've actually slowly um, and at, at the right pace built that muscle to get to that point that it's it, you you build that momentum and that's what that's what keeps you going not going all in and then giving up after two weeks which is what most people do um but yeah i think i think bookending it i think if you're giving yourself that that half hour hour in the morning and giving yourself that half hour before you go to sleep at night i think bookending that for yourself in that kind of self-development language of, of, of whatever that might be will be attuned to you and what you're about um i think is very important i think most people get up look at their social media, drag their behinds downstairs and turn on the telly and watch Netflix or some series or the news, the news. You know, I don't want to be waking up and the first thing I'm hearing about is the Tory party. That's not what fills me. You know, it's like I can, that's the thing. After you've done that, that half hour, let's say, let's call it an hour. After you've done that hour in that morning, go on social media for the rest of the day. Watch the news, do whatever it is you need to do. But don't start it like that, man. Get into a routine of, uh, of, of, of of doing you, whatever whatever that means, you know. And uh, and I think the phone thing, you know, I've, I've, I'm not doing it at the moment because I'm actually listening to 
some interesting podcasts and things and, uh, and, and audio books. But I have I do go through spells where I, I charge my phone in another room, you know, so that it's it's just not there, you know, it's it's not accessible. So there's a there's a book or there's or there's you know some kind of audio. Um, it's, it's a dangerous thing the phone I'm, I'm under your pillow and just so accessible. It's 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 a tricky one, but it, it takes time to get to that. I think it takes time. Yeah, I mean you've you've touched on two very very important things there which is don't rush into stuff because yeah. you you one you'll give up or you'll, or you'll burn yourself out and, and yeah. do stuff too quickly but you also i feel probably about 10 minutes back you said that you sometimes you have to tweak what works for you and i yeah. feel that that's so so true because something that might work for somebody one minute might yeah. not work for them a week in a week's time or a month's time or a year's time you do continuously have to change yeah the stuff that you do to help with mental health, I think. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be much, you know, it's like people, you know, it's that rocky thing. People want to be out there running and you know, hood up and kind of doing the whole six pack thing. It's like, no, you know what? If you just get out that door and then figure it out, because this is the thing we all know, the gym isn't the difficult part. It's getting to the gym. It's the difficult part. Mm -hmm. That 10 minute drive or is that 10 minute walk. That's the tricky bit of getting there. Once you're in it, you, you you land and you do your thing um so for me it's like the best advice i can give about that morning routine is prepping the night before having those clothes next to your bed the trainers there ready bleary eyed trainers on not even not even thinking just get out the door and once you're out the door then you take the next step do you know what i mean and and, and then you'll figure it out but it's like and half an hour later you're doing dips and you're doing press-ups and you're sprint, doing your sprints or whatever it's like god i would never have figured that out or can, can contemplated that when i was sitting on the edge of my bed putting those trainers on and there's stages you know but getting out that door is 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 that first smack you really have to hone in on and 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 it makes it makes a huge difference it does for me and, and the clients i I touch on with this because I've, I've I've recently introduced a health and well-being topic on the session. So because it, it's 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 all walks of life, you know. An actor working on a set or even going into an audition room has to be at their prime, has to be at their prime, and uh, has to be thinking clearly, has to be energized, has to be ready to take on a note from a director and shift and change and, and be alert. And to do that, you need to be in. in I'm not saying you have to have a six pack, but mentally you have to be in good shape. what is your happiest place in the world my happiest place wow wow when i was growing up uh, my dad was renting a beautiful house uh, in kent uh, and it was called timbold hill house and um it was a beautiful house and the lawn surrounded the house and it was like the lawn was like wembley it was like properly beautifully cut and nourished and uh, my dad had six cats at the time and he had his student's music studio there and we spent long summers there as kids and played a lot of football listened to a lot of music and had a lot of great food my stepmom was an amazing cook and we used to have boiled eggs and toast in the morning soldiers and she used to make like this amazing spaghetti bolognese and soups and just what like proper life in the country um i know that whenever that day comes when i'm lying there and i'm i'm, I'm leaving this rock um if there was a place i could kind of land and go yeah i could i could relive that time and that place i think timbold 
being that kind of age and being with my, my family and uh, my brother and my sister and, and, and kicking the ball around, that's a lovely thing. Um, but in terms of globally, I, I've been very fortunate. I've, I've traveled the world um, a lot and, uh, and I've been to many, many places. And uh, one of the most secluded places uh, for me, which was totally on the edge of the world, was, uh, was Rarotonga in the Cook Islands. Um, which is a, a, a pinprick in the middle of the Pacific. Um, that's quite an incredible island where, yeah, life felt very peaceful. And, uh, you know, you literally are. It's that Forrest Gump moment, you know, you're just watching that tide and it's just like, yeah, you, even now, just bodily, you just breathe, you know. It's, um, so Rarotonga is a, a, a beautiful place, yeah. Cats or dogs? Dogs. Plan ahead or take each day as it comes? God, I'd slice right down the middle of that, but if I had to choose one, take each day as it comes. Phone call or text message? Phone call. Walk on the beach or climb a mountain? I would say climb a mountain, but in reality, I'd be walking on the beach. Yeah. A good book or a good film? Good film. A thoughtful message or a nice unexpected gift? Oh, that's a nice one. Um, a thoughtful me- message or a nice unexpected gift? I'm going to go for the gift. I'm going to go for the gift. Money or happiness? Happiness. I mean, this this one's specific to you, which is acting or directing. Oh man! Okay, now you're getting complicated. Um, the answer to that is I can't answer that question because I can't give a disservice to either one. Because acting has always served me as a director, and directing has always served me as an actor. And I've found sort of equal sort of challenges in both, and rewards in both. So I, I always couple them together because I've been asked that question before in interviews and um, I can't pick one or the other. I would say this about the two of them, though. If I take on a directing job, it's a bigger challenge than an acting job. It's a bigger challenge. It's a, it's a, it's a bigger um, it's a bigger moment in terms of the sacrifice you have to make with, with your time because you have to take on the entire project um in the entire script and all the actors and every line and every stage direction and the lighting and the the, the crew and you know the, the whole world and there's 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 rewards in that it's a beautiful thing but it's it's a lot of work so sometimes an acting gig is oh, a bit easier to to, to 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 handle but uh but yeah that's a, that i couldn't answer that one it's uh it's just been wonderful to talk to you and and thank you for getting in touch and uh it's nice to touch on real stuff you know i think years ago interviews were very just sort of surface level they really were yeah, yeah. really like you know and not to put down you know the the, the any of the, the the previous uh interviewees i've worked I've, I've kind of come across but it's 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 really lovely now with podcasts because you get people like yourself who who who, well, a are sort of are real people, you know, and uh, and bringing are bringing 
a, a truth a truth to this process do you know what i mean uh, kind of very genuine and, that, and that's those are always the best interviews i think with people who are, who are genuine and, and 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 honest and uh so it's, it's it's a joy to sit. I mean, we could sit here till till whenever. Do you know what I mean? It's 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 just yeah. like, just a spitball and chat and just be real. And that's what's that's what's so nice about it. Thank you. Cheers, Jack. Really appreciate it, mate. All right, mate. Lovely to speak to you. Thanks, Jack. Keep in touch. Cheers, Luke. Take care. See you later. Bye. Bye bye. Thank you so much to Jack for coming on the podcast. And if you'd like to find out more about Jack and what he's up to, or if you're an actor and need some help or advice, just visit www.jackridersessions.com. I say this on every episode, but if you've been affected by any of the topics discussed on the stress sessions or are struggling with your mental health, please click on the link in this podcast episode's notes section. Through the link, you'll find lots of help and advice through charities, your local GP and where to seek support. Please never suffer in silence. Thanks again for listening and speak to you again in a few weeks as the next episode of the Stress Sessions will be out on Monday the 13th of March. So have a lovely week and catch you then. See you later.